Well, good morning. We uh, are disappointed that we couldn't meet on the church parking lot this morning as we, we had planned, but the Lord had other plans, and so we're going to worship the Lord together in our homes or in our cars or wherever we might be together uh, this morning. Uh, we, we're just going to continue to worship God and praise Him anyway. Uh, before, as we begin this morning to share a few announcements and so forth, I uh, just want you to know that we're going to continue to do the drive-in services when the weather permits on Sundays uh, until we're able to have services here inside our building again. And I know that folks are asking different questions and have different opinions about when that should be. And right now, of course, according to our state's plan, our five-phase plan, then uh, if we were to continue to go by that, then we couldn't have a group of 50, even of 50 or less, until July the 1st. Serve the Lord together in this way. A uh, couple of things to let you know about, if you haven't already, is our church camp that we have each summer through our Greater Wabash Baptist Association has been canceled uh, due to the coronavirus and and the state's restrictions and so forth. And so we've, well, we've also, as a church, went ahead and made the decision to cancel Vacation Bible School. We didn't want to do that, uh, but in relation to what's in place right now with the government's plan uh, in our state, then it kind of makes it hard to, to make, make our plans as well for Bible School. So we've canceled Vacation Bible School as well, and we may do some alternative things in the future in relation to Vacation Bible School uh, for our kids. Uh, and so we'll, we'll just monitor that as the summer goes along. Uh, we were going to do our graduate recognition this morning. I do want to say congratulations to our, our high school graduates this year. And we'll, we'll be recognizing them. We have about seven high school graduates in our church to recognize. And so we'll do that next Sunday outside, weather permitting, here on our parking lot. So we'll keep those things in mind. Before we do anything else this morning, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer before we sing together this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we praise you and we thank you that you're our God. And, and Lord, that you alone are God. And you're working in this world, even through your people and through your church, Father, that that it may be known that you are God, the one true God who's made himself known in his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And Lord, that through the work of your Holy Spirit, that Christ might be manifest and made known here in Mount Carmel, in our community, and throughout the state of Illinois, in our country, and in our world. So Father, thank you that you've given us technology that allows us to continue with our worship services, even here inside our building. We pray that those that hear this morning, those that watch, God, that uh, you might be glorified in it, Lord, in our singing and the preaching of your word, the prayers that are prayed. Father, we might sense your presence. You promise us that, lo, you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And so remind us today that you're with us and draw us near and help us to draw near to you, even to the throne of grace through your son, Jesus. Fathers, we assemble this morning in these unique times and these unique ways. We pray, Father, for our church family, that you would strengthen those that are, that are becoming weary of all the different things that are taking place around us and all the talk about reopening and all the things and the critique of our government and different things, Father. We pray that you would give us much grace. We pray for our governing leaders, Lord, our governor here, Governor Pritzker, and our mayor here in our town, and, and our president, Lord, we, we ask God that you grant them wisdom. We pray for those in leadership that are not Christians to be saved. We pray for those that claim to know Christ to act like it. And Father, we pray that you'd be very gracious, whether they're Christians or not, to give them much wisdom in making decisions. And help us, Father, as a church to have wisdom right now and grace as we move forward. We pray, Father, for those in our church family that are hurting, Lord, over things not even related, perhaps, to the coronavirus, Father. We have folks that are ill, going through illness, and, 
and even sadness, Lord. We've heard of folks in our church family who've lost loved ones in this past week and or are knowing of some who are in dire straits. God, we pray that you'd be with them and comfort them today and let them know that you're near. Father, be with those that are, are simply lonely today, missing their church family, missing being around other people. We pray that you know that they know of your presence and love. So now, Father, as we come and we come to worship and we come to sing, let us sing in a way and reflects that our hope is in Jesus and it's not in this world, but it's in the world to come. We pray that we would know of your presence, God, again, and, and you would be so gracious to, to, to draw near to us now. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1 in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there, and perhaps standing with us this morning in the honor of the reading of God's Word, I uh, just want to say how much I appreciate our praise team. It's faithfully been coming the past, I don't know how many weeks it's been now, seven or eight weeks, and still practicing during the week, and then showing up even earlier on Sunday mornings to, to practice and help us with a, uh, to do as quality worship service as we can. You may have noticed Tim Laswell, our minister of music, who is not up here this morning. He pulled a, pulled a muscle in his back earlier this week, so he's back in the sound booth right now. And, uh, and so uh, pray for him to recover quickly. But we appreciate all these guys helping out, and especially Nick Foster helping out in the sound booth. And these guys, uh, these technological guys, you know, we really appreciate them in times like this, don't we? So be sure and you encourage them when you see them and let them know that. Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read through this chapter this morning. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voices, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I not yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you from where... For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts from you, me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray together. Now thank you again, Lord, for the day that you've given. And how gracious you are, God, that you have given us access to your word when many in the world don't even have it in their own languages and many that do are not allowed to have access to the Bible so thank you Father for the freedom that we have to meet together thank you for the Father for the freedom we have to have access to the scriptures in our own language God I thank you that we do have technology and so forth even though we can't meet physically we can meet in this way we ask now God again that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts as your word is preached, may you stir our hearts, help us to see who you are, to see the God that you are and the God who is at work, even when we can't see it, and lead us to trust in you. Maybe some for the first time have not placed their faith and trust alone in what you've done for their souls in Jesus. So we pray that you would be at work and show them that they need to trust only in Jesus. So, Lord, increase our faith and strengthen us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I first moved to the state of Illinois, my family and I, five and a half years ago, um, I don't think I knew about the condition of the state of Illinois at the time as far as the government's history and things like that, and mayors in Chicago or governors from Chicago, I guess it's more, more said. And, and since then, I've heard people jokingly say, well, one of these days I'm just going to leave Illinois because of different things. And uh, now, of course, we're hearing that even more uh, nowadays, uh, people considering leaving the state of Illinois. I mentioned that this morning not because that's something I would commend doing, uh, and or condemn doing for that matter, so hear me well. But I look at this passage of Scripture, and what you see is God has graciously given His chosen people, Israel, the promised land. They're living in the promised land. And there's a man named Elimelech who's married to a woman, Naomi, who have two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they're living in that promised land. But now there's a famine in the land. Now things are rough in the land that God has given them. And greener pastures seem to be outside that promised land. So they're thinking about picking up and leaving Illinois. Now, Illinois is not the promised land, we know that. But they're thinking about picking up and leaving the promised land and going somewhere else. And not just somewhere else, but what your Bible say. They're going to sojourn in the country, verse 1, of Moab. And Moab is certainly not the promised land. In fact, we know a lot about the history of Moab 
Moab was one of the enemies, the arch enemies of Israel. Moab was a pagan land. They worshiped the god Chemosh, was sort of their chief god, which they sacrificed their children to. But they also worshiped many other gods as well. But yet, this is what they chose to do. They chose to leave the promised land, and they chose to go somewhere else. In fact, to do so was to go against what God's word had said, was to, was to stop trusting in God's hand of providence, even though times were rough where they lived. Well, God's people often turn away from them. And you see, Elimelech's decision as the head of his household is somewhat characteristic of the period of the time. Look at the first phrase of verse 1 of your Bible in chapter 1. What's it say? In the days when the judges ruled. You see that? In the days when the judges ruled. What do we know about that? Well, we have the book of Judges right before the book of Ruth. And this period of time, some might say covered a span of a couple hundred years, was a time in which after the time of, uh, who I'm trying to think of, Joshua, that there was, there was really nobody that really feared God to lead God's people. And so God had raised up, of all people, judges, which were really governors of the land. And sometimes these governors were very gracious and that God used them to get rid of Israel's enemies and the people would praise God and then the people would go into sin again. And we call it the judges cycle and they would just do their own thing. And then, then when things got rough again, they'd say, oh God, help, please forgive. And God would raise up another judge who would come along like Gideon or somebody, Samson or somebody like that. They'd get rid of the enemies. But as things went along in the judges cycle and in, in the day when the judges ruled, the wickedness of the people, if you read the book of Judges, the wickedness of the people continued to just increase. Even as they saw God's grace in raising up judges like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and others, they continued to increase in their wickedness and their departure from God. And we're told twice in the book of Judges, and one of those references I'll have you look at with me because it's the last verse. Just turn one page back in your Bible. To Judges chapter 21, the last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king. It's verse 25 of chapter 21 of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The scripture tells us this more than once in the book of Judges about how things were, that people did what was right in their own eyes, that there was no king in that day. There was no king in Israel in that day to lead them, a king that would lead them to do what's right in God's own eyes. And so it is. Elimelech, as the famine comes upon the land, you look at your Bible, you see what it says in those days, verse 1, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Is, there any, is it any surprise that there's a famine in the land? Any surprise? Is that not one of the things that God told them when he gave them the Old Testament covenant? That when they sinned against him, he would send pestilence. He would send armies against them. And sometimes he would send famine. Is it any surprise in the days when the judges ruled that there was famine, that there was judgment from God to open their eyes, that they would cry out to him and flee to him? But instead of Elimelech crying out to God on behalf of his nation and saying, Oh God, forgive us. Elimelech looks at the greener pastures outside the borders of the promised land, even a pagan land called Moab. And the Bible tells us he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. 
He didn't cry out for repentance, but he took matters into his own hands. And like the people of his day doing what's right in his own eyes, Elimelech decided to be king since there was no king. And he decided to do what was right in his own eyes. And Moab was not a place to raise your family. For it's in Moab when they got there. The Bible tells us, we go on and look in verse 2, that Elimelech, he had two sons. And those two sons later in verse 4, they took Moabite wives. You see that in verse 4? Moabite wives. And we're told in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, that was forbidden. Israel was not to marry women of another nation. If they did so, then the descendants of those would be forbidden from worship at the tabernacle. But they took Moabite wives. They sojourned. They went to live there, maybe just for a little while. But as they enjoyed the greener pastures while famine was going on in Bethlehem and Judah in God's promised land, they settled there. And before long, they had lived there. What's the Bible say? How long? How many years? Ten years, it says at the end of verse 4. Ten years in the pagan land as they became comfortable. It's ironic that Elimelech's name, Eli, Elimelech, is the Hebrew word for God. Melech is the word for king. His name means God is king, Elimelech. But he is not acting as if God is king. He's acting as if he is king. How often do we take the label Christian and say that we're following Christ, but in fact we're doing what's right in our own eyes, that we're called Christian, we're called by this name, but we're often in search of greener pastures. We're disappointed in how things have turned out in our family. The honeymoon's over in our marriage, and so there's greener pastures as we see the woman at work or the man at work. So flirtation begins in unfaithfulness, at least in the head, if not into the heart. How often it is we become discontent about the job that God's given us when things are rough. We begin to look around at greener pastures. Not that we shouldn't put out applications for jobs and things like that. It's not a condemnation over those type of things. But so often we rush to that without considering what God would have us do. Well, here is Naomi. Naomi, we find out, is left in verse 6 with her two sons and her husband. For when they get to Moab, what happens? Her husband, Elimelech, dies. The green pastures of Moab have turned out to be a desert. For now, her two sons, after 10 years, Malon and Kilion, have both died. And it tells us in verse 5, And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husbands. Without her husband. And so the question might come to mind for Naomi as in, Critically, it was in the day of Israel, just as we might think in our own time as well, will Elimelech's line survive because Malon and Killian have no children? Will his line simply die out? They've married, they've married Moabite women, but they have no children. Will God be so gracious to Naomi to provide our needs, but also to provide grandchildren at some point? And she sees no hope in it. 
But we see a clue in verse 6 if you look at your Bible. Then she arose. She had chosen now. Elimelech died, and they went ahead and stayed 10 years. She had chosen to go ahead and stay in the land of compromise and not go back to the promised land. She had made a decision also to do what was right in her own eyes. But oh, how often do we do the same and God is so gracious to us? And we see grace in verse 6, don't we? Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for not because she said to herself, we'll go back and we'll trust in God. No, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. God had given them food. It's ironic again that they were from Bethlehem. We know a lot about Bethlehem, don't we? They were from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, the Hebrew word Bethlehem, Beth means house and Lehem means bread. It was the house of bread. And God now was visiting his people and giving them food. He was giving them Lehem, bread. He was restocking the shelves with bread. And they were on their way back to Bethlehem. God's hand of providence was bringing Naomi and her, whoever would come with her, as we'll find out, back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. But we'll also see, not only was she being brought back so that she could survive and thrive physically, but God's hand of providence, if you read in the book of Ruth, was at work to bring Israel a king. And that's what the book of Ruth is about. So there's a lesson here about God's providence, and I mentioned it last Sunday. A lesson about God's providence. God is not a passive observer. God sees what's going on in your life. He sees what's going on in the world. And His hand is at work. He sees what's going on in your life. He sees what's going on in the world. And His hand is at work to carry out His divine plan, His perfect plan. His hand is at work in all things. I was disappointed this morning that we couldn't have our service outside. Some might say, oh, the old devil causing it to rain. Listen, the devil's not in control of the weather. Almighty God is. He's the one who stands up in the boat when the disciples wake him up and Jesus says, peace be still. In other words, hush up wind, hush up waves, and they have to hush up. And some of you kids this morning, you're disappointed because church camp got canceled. And some of you kids and workers are disappointed as well. And also about Vacation Bible School. And our 2020 graduates are disappointed because they won't be able to enjoy some of the things that they would have got to enjoy normally during this time of year. And there's economic considerations and things that are even weightier than those things because of the virus that is ongoing right now. The big question comes to mind in the midst of all these things. Will you continue to turn to God and trust His hand of providence? God is not a passive observer. He sees what's going on in this world. And he sees what's going on in our lives. And his hand is at work in all things. So will you continue to turn to God and trust his hand of providence? And in many ways, this passage of Scripture is much about that. 
It's about turning to God. It's about asking ourselves, like Elimelech did when the famine came upon the land of, of Judah and Israel, which road will you choose? Will you be wise in your own eyes? Will you be king of your own life and do your own thing? The bottom line, as one commentator said, the bottom line in our lives is rarely God's will as it's revealed in God's Word. The bottom line is in relation to how we make decisions. The bottom line is rarely God's will as it's revealed in God's Word, but rather the bottom line for us is what will make us comfortable and what will make us happy rather than what has God said. Because God is good, I'll trust Him. Will you continue to turn to God and trust His hand of providence? Well, as I mentioned, this is the theme even the theme of verses 6 through 18. In verses 6 through 18, if you look at your Bible, at least 10 times the word return is used. Return, 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 return. That's the subject. Return. Or the phrase turn after. It's all about turning. Which way will you choose? Which way will Naomi go? Will we see that? Which way will her daughter-in-law Orpah go? And which way will Ruth go? You can almost see a huddle on the road. They've left the fields of Moab. And outside the fields of Moab somewhere, there's a conversation in verses 6 through 18. Do you see this elderly woman standing there with her two young daughters-in-law, these widows, all three, huddled up together on the road, having this conversation? And they huddle up. And the plan is called Naomi's the quarterback. And she calls the plan and she says, I'm going to go this way. And you two go that way. I'm going to go this way to Bethlehem. And you two go back home to Moab. Break. Now go. But Orpah and Ruth, they say, hold on, we don't like that play. We don't like that plan. We want to go with you. Where you go, we want to go. Both of them say that, don't they? Naomi says in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with me. May the Lord show you faithfulness, hesed, even though they are pagans. May the Lord deal kindly with you. So we see Naomi's turning in verses 6 through verse 13. She's She's determined to go back to Bethlehem. But look at verse 13 and notice what she says in verse 13. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? If she was to have sons, are you going to go with me and expect that you might get married again? You come with me. Naomi says to her two young daughters-in-law, you have no prospect of being married. You're going to be a foreigner in a strange land. There's nothing for you where I'm going. And as we'll see later on, Naomi certainly doesn't seem to have much of a missionary heart. She doesn't really seem to see God's heart for the Moabites and for her daughters-in-law whom she loves. In fact, just go ahead and look in verse 15. After Orpah turns and goes back to Moab, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Her gods? So she says, return after your sister-in-law. She's went back to her people, back to Moab and to her gods. So Ruth, go back to your people and go back to your gods. 
It was a day when the judges ruled. It was a day when Elimelech and Naomi, that their actions and their words were very descriptive of the kind of people that were living in this day. Yet God was being gracious to his people. God was visiting. You see that in verse 6? The Lord had visited his people. The Lord had still visited his people despite their rebellion. So we see Orpah turning in verse 14. She kisses her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That word clung is the same word used in Genesis chapter 2 where we're told that a man must leave his father and mother and cleave, cling to his wife. So here, Ruth was clinging to her mother-in-law. And even as we continue to read in verse 16, we see words about Ruth's turning and how she turns and how she goes that display the kind of commitment that you should expect between a husband and wife. In fact, these very words are sometimes used in wedding ceremonies, are they not? But there's no wedding ceremony here. This is a pledge of one woman to, a mother, to another. A daughter-in-law to her mother is where this is coming from. Ruth said in verse 16, look at your Bible. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if nothing but death parts from me. pronouncing a curse upon ourselves. Some have said that this reflects a conversion on the part of Ruth. There's no evidence here that Ruth, in my opinion, has been converted. But it's possible. It even seems unlikely, based on the kind of witness that Elimelech and Naomi had been or had not been to her. But you see... God's hand of providence graciously works to call those whom he will call. Despite the rebelliousness of God's people and their lack of fervent witness, God can still be at work to reach those whom he'll call. And he is after Ruth. And whether she's converted at this point or not, I don't know, but I do know she is. And so we continue. She is at some point. And so, two things about the providence of God, quickly, that we need to begin to see and wrestle with. Most of us have felt and experienced at some point in our life, and sometimes it's the unwelcomed, bitter providence of God's hand, the unwelcomed hand of bitter providence. It's not what we want. And then there's the unseen hand of beautiful providence. The unseen hand of beautiful providence that's working behind the scenes. And sometimes like Joseph, we get to go back and look and say, Oh, now I see. Now I see what God was doing. But Naomi is not in that place in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. But she will be by the end of the book of Ruth. So the unwelcomed hand of bitter providence. Here come the two ladies Ruth and Naomi, walking back to Bethlehem and Judah in verse 19. Orpah has gone her way. But now in verse 19, it says the two of them came to Bethlehem. 
And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up. It's Naomi. And they say, the women come. And they say to their friend they hadn't seen in 10 years, they say, could this be Naomi? And Naomi's name means pleasant. Could this be pleasant? Could this be Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, verse 20. Call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty, it says in verse 20, has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And it could be debated whether or not she is speaking truthfully or not. But on one sense she is. It is the Lord who gives and it is the Lord who takes away. But she is not like Job at this point. She does not say the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That does not come from her lips. All she can see is darkness. All she can see is the unwelcomed hand of providence. She, is, she understands that God's in control. She says twice here in these, in these verses, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Look at verse 21. The Lord has brought me back empty. Look at verse, the last part of verse 21. The Lord has testified against me. Look again at the last part of verse 21. The Almighty has brought about calamity upon us. She, she has a... a right view that God's hand is at work, right? But she just doesn't understand it. She doesn't see it as good. And she's a bitter old woman because of it. I was visiting with uh, Ray Stewart over in Oakview Nursing Home on the phone this week. and I talked to him a couple weeks ago on the phone. He said the same thing. He says the same thing about every time I see him. How you doing, Ray? And if you know Ray... He, this is usually what he says. He says, I got the world by the tail on a downhill pool. I'm just as happy as I could be. I mean, I wished everybody had it as good as I do. They're in that nursing home quarantined to his room. He said, I just am so thankful. I used to have to cook and clean, do all that. Now I watch other people do it. <laughs> I mean, what a perspective. He's a glass half full kind of guy. In fact, his cup's overflowing. If you talk to him not so for Naomi she's a glass half empty kind of girl she says in verse 21 I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty the Lord has brought me back empty Naomi knew the cause of what was going on in her life that the Lord was doing something here she didn't leave it up to chance she didn't say this is just random, that God just, he's just sitting off and he's not at work and he's just letting this stuff. No, she says God has done this. And she's speaking rightly. His hand of providence is at work, not in the way which she would choose, not in a welcome way. It is the unwelcome hand of bitter providence. And that's what we're going to experience at times in our lives. You may be experiencing now the unwelcomed hand of bitter providence in your, in your finances or in your marriage or whatever it might be. But the Word of God teaches us to keep turning to Him and trusting in His hand of providence because there's an unseen hand of beautiful providence at work that we might get to see in this life and we will see in the next. Naomi knew the cause 
But she did not know the reason. For all she knew, it was because she had left Bethlehem and felt like God was punishing her. Or maybe she felt like it was all meaningless. I don't know. But she did know that God was the one at work. We might not like to hear that. We might not like to hear that this coronavirus is God's bitter hand of providence at work. And chalk it up to Satan's work or this and that. And certainly God grants Satan permission to do certain things. We see that in the book of Job. But understand, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, I agree with one author I read recently. If we're, to be, if we're to walk well with the Lord during these times or any times, he says, this is not a season for sentimental views of God. It's a bitter season. It's not a season for sentimental views of God where we try to excuse God and say, oh, God is not doing this or God is not at work or this, this is just... No, understand God is at work in all things. His hand is in all things. This unwelcomed hand, from our perspective, of bitter providence. But secondly, there's the unseen hand of beautiful providence. The unseen hand of beautiful providence. Think about Ruth. Ruth is walking back to Bethlehem. You see her? The two women are walking in, and they say, Naomi, where you been? Is that you, Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. They never say anything to Ruth, the Moabite. And Ruth hears Naomi's explanation. The Lord has brought, the Almighty has done this. The Lord has done this. I left full, and I've come back empty. And Naomi, perhaps Naomi was thinking, you mean, you mean I left Moab and I left any hope of having a husband and all these things? And I said, your God's going to be my God and your people's going to be my people. And this is, this is what you believe about your God? And, I, and you say, you've left full and you've come back empty? What am I, Ruth, got to be thinking to herself? Am I nothing? <laughs> Naomi can't see what's staring right in front of her, it seems. She can't see the kindness of God extended to her. Not only by bringing her back to a place where bread's been provided, but bringing back a daughter-in-law who's faithful to her. And certainly, Naomi can't be expected to see what God's going to do through her daughter-in-law in her future marriage to Boaz, who'll give birth to David's grandfather, King David's grandfather, from which the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, will ultimately come. God's beautiful hand of providence is work, and Naomi couldn't see it. We see in verse 22, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was right there with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. God was providing physically. But God was also getting ready through Ruth's kindness to extend His kindness, His covenant faithfulness, His hesed, by providing a Savior that Ruth so desperately needed named Jesus Christ. But you know it's hard to see beauty when it's dark, isn't it? It's hard to see beauty when it's so dark. Often, the way the Lord works is the beauty of God's kindness shines out so brightly 
in the backdrop of bitterness. And so it was to be for Naomi. In the backdrop of her black bitterness and from her perspective that she was going through, later she would see how beautiful God's kindness would shine out through Ruth's faithfulness and God's faithfulness ultimately. But it's hard to see beauty when it's so dark. Timothy Paul Jones is a professor of apologetics at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. His 23-year-old daughter, Hannah, contracted the coronavirus several weeks ago. And some pastors and I were aware of the situation and had been praying for, for Dr. Jones and his daughter, Hannah. His daughter's 23 years old. They, he and his wife had adopted Hannah when she was seven years old. And he wrote in an article this week that I just happened to look at and went so well with what I'm preaching about this morning, I want to share some of it with you, this story. He said, I remember he was thinking about this when his daughter Hannah, 23-year-old, was in the hospital on a ventilator in Louisville. He said, I began to remember when she first came to our home as a 7-year-old. He said, I began the habit of slipping into her dark room each morning to wake her up when it was time to get up. He said, for months, each morning... Followed by followed an identical pattern. He'd slip into her room and seek to wake her up. He'd touch her on the shoulder. Her body would stiffen, and her eyes flashed open. And she'd look around frighteningly as a seven-year-old in a strange home. And she'd stare into his face. He says in those moments she didn't seem certain at first where, where she was or where she might be. It was no wonder she'd felt this way. She'd been in foster homes of half a, di- half, a di- half a dozen different families. And he would say each morning, it's okay, it's me, you're, you're home now. And so that routine just continued over several months. She'd wake up stiff-armed, eyes wide awake and fearful, and he would comfort her. But then one Saturday morning, one Saturday morning, something different happened. He went in to wake her up, and she didn't stiffen. She didn't even open her eyes as he touched her. She simply rolled over into his arms and said, Good morning, Daddy. I love you. And he says this, She had learned to trust my touch even when she couldn't see my face. Then he says these words, That's how we're called to trust our Heavenly Father. He said, it's what I kept remembering anew during those silent days when my daughter was on a ventilator to battle a deadly virus. All I could do was trust my Father's hand, even when I couldn't see my Father's face. And I believe that's the application here in the first chapter of the book of Ruth. To trust God's hand when you cannot see His face. Naomi was failing miserably. And perhaps you are this morning, and I know I do sometimes as well. That's why we need the first day of the week to assemble as best we can to remind ourselves. We need it every day, and we need to especially remind ourselves when we can assemble together to trust God's hand when you cannot see His face. Naomi knows the Lord gives and takes away But she is not saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. How can she? And how can we? When we cannot see his face. There was another place in the Old Testament called Marah. 
It was a place in Exodus chapter 15 when God's people were led across the Red Sea. God had done this wonderful miracle in parting the waters. And they got across the Red Sea. And guess what God's people did when they didn't have any drinking water? Can you imagine God's people complaining? Why, they sure did. They started complaining. Oh, you let us out here and now we're going to die. We got water right here, but it's too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. And the Lord said, Moses, take this log. I don't know why he said take a log, but he did. And put it in the water. And he made the bitter water sweet. What if Naomi would have just remembered God's covenant faithfulness to his people? What if Elimelech would have just remembered that? How that might have helped them continue to trust God's hand even when they couldn't see his face. What's that mean for us? Rather than leave for greener pastures and do what's right in our own eyes, we need to remember God's covenant mercy. Because Ruth did give birth to a son. And ultimately, David, King David was born, and ultimately a descendant of David was born named the Lord Jesus Christ. And as one commentator says, Jesus is the final answer, not, Na- not Ruth. Jesus is the final answer to Naomi's need. Naomi said, I left full, but I've come back empty. But that wasn't true. She was coming back and there was food in the land, but she was also coming back with a daughter-in-law. She was not completely empty. Hurting, but not empty. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ who emptied himself. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself He didn't cease to be God. That's not what it means. But he emptied himself of the divine use of his attributes. He laid down his life. He emptied himself. He's the one who is emptied. You think you're emptied. You, You feel that way. It's not to minimize what you may be experiencing or feeling. But remember the Lord Jesus can identify with that feeling of emptiness more so than you realize and even more so than you've experienced. He's the one who emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, even though he's God, even though they couldn't take away his life, even though he could call 10,000 angels to take him off the cross. He humbled himself. He emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's the one who left what was full in heaven and became empty. So that we who are poor, spiritually, might become rich. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus, when he's on the cross, entrusted himself to the Father's hand. Remember this hand of providence we've been talking about? Jesus entrusted himself to the the Father's hand. As he gets ready to breathe his last breath in Luke chapter 23. Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus entrusted himself to his Father's hands. And so, brothers and sisters, we must continue to entrust ourselves to our Father's hands. 
But we're told in John chapter 10 that his sheep hear his voice. They know him and follow him. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Out of my hand, Jesus, out of the Father's hand, Jesus, they're one in purpose, right? They're one. Jesus and the Father are one and God and the Holy Spirit. You cannot be snatched out of his hand. So trust, continue to trust in the Father's hand. So as I close, I ask you these questions. Will you be like Orpah? One commentator says about Orpah, whose name means neck. Some think it means that because she turned her neck on what lay before her and went back to Moab. I'm not sure about that, but one commentator says the saddest part about Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, is she probably never even knew what she was missing. She missed the great pearl of great price. She went back to the fields of Moab. She went back to what she was used to. No help from Naomi. How many Moabites has God placed in our lives? And we often think, they probably don't want to hear about this anyway. We'll just let them go out and back to their gods. Let them go on back to the fields of Moab. Let them go on back to their way of living. How many times that we're so consumed with our own bitterness, our own situation, that we don't realize our situation could be much worse, that we could be from Moab, that we could be lost, that we could not be, we could not be part of God's covenant people through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you, will you be like Orpah and continue to dwell in sin? The Bible commands you to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His providential hand is at work. That's the reason you're hearing this sermon right now or watching it. His providential hand is at work. Or you be like Ruth. Again, I don't know when she was converted. I know she was. You be like Ruth, displaying here in her commitment to Naomi and throw yourself completely upon the mercy and favor of the God of Israel. Will you throw yourself completely upon the mercy of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you're at work always. You're always at work for your glory. And we can always trust in you. Even, Lord, when your hand is at work in ways that we would not naturally welcome. Lord, give us grace to trust you. To trust that your hand is at work in beautiful ways, in ways that we cannot see. And your hand has already been at work in the most beautiful way through the old rugged cross. That for the world is foolishness, but for us it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Help us to know, Lord, you're wise and you're good. Help us to trust you. And I pray for the lost. 
that are wandering in the fields of the world. God, that you'd be so gracious to show them that they need to turn from their sin and trust only in the descendant of David, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he did for their sins on the cross. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing this closing song together, I want to remind you, you need to repent and trust in Jesus. And if, if I can serve you in any way and talk with you about that, you please get in contact with our church on our website. And I'll say this church phone number slowly. 618-263-6562. You call us, and I'll get back in touch with you. Or get in contact with another Christian that you know. Somebody that's not just calling themselves a Christian like Elimelech said, God is king, and not acting like it. But somebody that you know that's a believer in Jesus Christ, and you talk to them about how God's at work in your heart. You do that today. Just call upon the name of the Lord first and ask him to save you. Let's sing together.
Let's uh, bow and close in prayer here. And Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to, to be gathered, uh, maybe not physically, but uh, definitely uh, being able to hear your word preached through, uh, through the technology we have. We, we thank you for that. We just uh, ask that you continue to give us the strength to endure each day um, and to serve you um, by making your name known as we go about and, and just uh, by having peace and trusting and knowing that you are in control uh, regardless of, of what each day brings, that we can, we can have peace knowing that uh, Jesus has, has done uh, something that we could not do on our own and, and has, has provided for us the most important thing, and that's uh, salvation and, and a relationship with you that we couldn't have otherwise. So we just pray that we would make that, um, that gospel truth known to all and uh, that we would encourage one another as we go about our ways this week. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.